Welcome back. It is Reading Through the New Testament. This is Pastor Spencer. Thank you for joining us. Uh, We are here the week of October 16th through 22nd. Thank you for joining us. We are reading through the New Testament. We're now in the book of Hebrews full swing. Last week we began Hebrews chapter 1. This week we are reading Hebrews chapter 2 through chapter 6. And so we're going to be reading through one of the most important and um, foundational books, maybe of of the the New Testament for us. Um, uh, a great book, a book that is worthy of serious study and uh, meditation to think through. Um, all that the writer uh, that wrote this this letter, this book that we call Hebrews, um, much truth in there that is really helpful for us to understand the relationship between the Old Testament. Um, and the New Testament. And you see that right away, right? Last week we read Hebrews chapter 1, and already you're seeing um, the writer saying, you know, long ago at various times and in many ways God spoke to our forefathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. So already we're talking about what happened before Jesus, but now what's come in Jesus. And also you'll see all the quotations from the Old Testament in the first chapter Already the author there is trying to show us that everything that we have in Jesus was already talked about in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is just as Christ-focused. It may not be as clear, but it is always still Christ-focused, especially as we look back at it as New Testament Christians, which is actually, I think, the way we're supposed to read it. Um, That was always the intended way it was supposed to be read is when we look back at the Old Testament, we see, oh, wow, Jesus really is here all over the place. You, if you could, um, if, if the Old Testament was a person and you cut it, uh, every time you cut it, it would bleed Jesus. Uh, Every single passage, every single uh, verse somehow has a relationship to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And so, As I've heard it said, Jesus is not simply the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures. He is the fullness. He is, um, he really embodies the Old Testament scriptures. Jesus of Nazareth does. So first of all, let's talk a little bit about Hebrews, some background before we kind of uh, start walking through some of the things we can learn uh, as we read through Hebrews. First of all, it's important to note that we don't know who wrote this, this letter, um, which in some ways is like a sermon uh, being preached. We don't know who wrote it. Now, I think in the past there was a traditional understanding that this was written by the Apostle Paul. And um, there were many, many people in the past who thought that this was was a a letter written by him. Uh, There are reasons why that could be in doubt. And so for now, we're just going to say it's unknown. There have been other arguments about who possibly could have been the author. It's not explicitly told to us. So it's an unknown author. He's writing around the year 65 AD. Now, this is important because you'll remember that um, Paul was executed in the 60s. Um, I think Peter as well was. And additionally, 
around AD 70, in the year AD 70, which is a very important date. That is the year that Jerusalem and the temple, the whole thing, was destroyed by the Romans. So whenever he is writing here in the letter to the Hebrews, right, and he's going to talk about the sacrifices, he's going to talk about the priests, he's going to talk about uh, very many different ceremonies that um, the Jews would observe, it's important to be reminded that that temple was then still standing. Um, it had not come down yet. And so um, just be aware of that. Um, these, these Jews, as we will see, these people that the writer is writing to are probably Hebrew Christians of sorts. And their temptation is this. Their temptation is going to say, why don't we, because they're suffering persecution and their temptation is going to be to think, well, we should go back to the synagogue because in the synagogue we have a sacrifice we can see, priests we can touch. There's a temple still standing. This Jesus, we can't see with our eyes. We can't see what he's doing. Um, all of those things. It takes faith to believe in Jesus. And the writer to the Hebrews is going to say, well, yeah, and that's the way it's always been. If you want to be a real Old Testament believer, then you need to believe in a Christ who has ascended to the right hand of God and entered into the heavenly places for us and who is coming back one day for us. So we kind of get ahead of ourselves, but that's what the author to the Hebrews is saying. Listen, if you want to be a believer just like Abraham and Moses and Abel and Noah and Isaac and David, if you want to be in that strain, then you need to reject this continuation of the sacrifices and the ceremonies because Jesus has come. Jesus is the fulfillment and the fullness of all of that. And everything you have in him is so much more. There's, there's no comparison to the better, the greater thing that has happened to us in the person and work of Christ. So he's probably writing to a Jewish Christian uh, congregation in Rome. We know that in Rome there was a, there were numerous, I believe I've read this before, synagogues in Rome, Jewish synagogues. So it wouldn't be surprising that he's writing to Rome, uh, to a Jewish uh, Christian congregation there. And the occasion is, is because these people are being persecuted and their temptation is going to be to fall away. And you can see that already uh, the writer to the Hebrews is saying, listen, if you reject and neglect such a great salvation that we've been given and turn back again to these weak and worthless things, these, 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 these things that have always been telling us about this one, if you turn away from Christ and go follow those other things, there is no more salvation for you. That is what he's been trying to, to highlight to them, to keep persevering even in the midst of the hard times. And that's what he's going to do. And notice the way he does it. The only way to persevere in persecution is by looking to Christ crucified as our Savior, as our resurrected Lord. So he's warning them, don't go back, go forward in Jesus Christ. And the theme throughout is, as I've read in this New Testament introduction book I have, the supremacy of Christ over all the Old Testament figures and other intermediaries. Jesus is greater. Jesus is better. Jesus is supreme. Okay? So that's what we're reading as we're going through the book of Hebrews. Uh, this, going through the book of Hebrews, I've stolen something. Uh, I say stolen. I've, I've adapted it to our purposes. Um, this is by a guy named Bob Hiller. Bob Hiller, he's the senior pastor of Community Lutheran Church in Escondido and slash San Marcos, California. Um, 
he works for a group and actually this is this material I've gotten was taken from a website called 1517.org it's a a website that is uh, proclaims uh, gospel truth centered. They're very Christ centered, gospel centered. Um, they come from a Lutheran perspective, um, but uh, and so um, just be aware of that. There is some disagreements that we uh, as Baptists would have with Lutherans, but as far as concerns the the most important things like Jesus Christ and His cross work for us and His substitution for us and how we're saved by faith alone. We would be in complete agreement with them on the most important things. We would differ with them on things like baptism and and exactly what's happening in the Lord's Supper. Um, but it's very important also to be reminded that there's there's many things we do agree. He's also a host on the podcast, The White Horse Inn, which is a, a show that some of you may listen to. So uh, he's a co-host on that. So I'm taking this from uh, the website 1517 because what they did, he's uh, constructed some essays that are actually supposed to be helps for people, for pastors as they're preparing sermons on these various passages in Hebrews. So what I've done is taken that material, um, edited it for our purposes here. And also, you know, there's some wording that maybe as Baptists, we would be a little, we would be uncomfortable with. So I've tried to edit it to, uh, because the main things are very good. So uh, not diminishing our disagreements, which we have as honest brothers in the Lord, but the central agreement upon Jesus Christ and what the book of Hebrews is proclaiming to us about Christ, I've kept there. So I've edited it for our purposes for this podcast as a devotional. Um, I hope he doesn't mind that. And I hope you uh, enjoy this as we, as we walk through it. He breaks down Hebrews into uh, different, uh, into a, a basic, uh, uh, various passages in Hebrews in a helpful way. And I think this will be helpful for you at home. So he talks about Jesus is greater than the angels in Hebrews chapter 2. Uh, Jesus is greater than Moses in Hebrews chapter 3. Jesus is greater than Joshua, and he's also greater than the past Sabbath. He's the greater Sabbath rest in Hebrews chapter 4. Jesus is greater than the priesthood in Hebrews chapter 7. Jesus is greater than the sacrifices, Hebrews chapter 9. And Jesus is greater than the law, Hebrews chapter 10. So he's greater than the angels, greater than Moses, greater than Joshua. He's our Sabbath rest. He's the greater than the priests of the Old Testament, the Levitical priests. He's greater than the sacrifices, and he's greater than the law. Jesus is better, greater than anything else we had in the past. So I think that's a helpful outline, and I hope that that sticks in your mind. And we're going to walk through that over the next weeks as we walk through um, the book of Hebrews. So again, this is from Bob Hiller. I'm taking this from the website 1517 because it's all on there. And I've adapted it, as I said, to our purposes here for this podcast in our local church. So, um, yeah, let's begin. He says this, many scholars suggest Hebrews was written to early Jewish Christians who were considering abandoning the faith and returning to Judaism. The latter was a state-sanctioned religion, which one could participate in with fewer negative legal ramifications. Christianity, however, brought persecution. The anonymous author of this marvelous epistle is thus writing to encourage these Jewish believers not to abandon the fulfillment of all the Old Testament promises, namely Jesus. The Old Covenant was filled with laws, ceremonies, institutions, and people who were all mere shadows of the reality of Christ. 
To abandon Christ is to abandon the truth which these shadows pointed to. The book is summarized well in chapter 8, verse 5. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. The various texts the lectionary provides offer up several opportunities for the preacher. So again, this is this is talking about their preaching stuff, and apparently I didn't get this out, to show how Christ Jesus offers a better covenant based on better promises. And so that's what we're going to be talking about, right? Jesus is uh, better. So first of all, we're going to talk this week about in chapter 2, Jesus is greater than the angels. He's greater than the angels, Hebrews chapter 2. The author of Hebrews, uh, Bob Hiller writes, spends the first two chapters demonstrating Jesus is greater than the angels. This is a powerful reminder to those who are tempted to leave the faith. They would be abandoning the one who is superior to and Lord over the hosts of heaven. In the first chapter, the author has demonstrated Jesus' superiority over the angels by weaving together a tapestry of selections from the Psalms. The emphasis seems to be that Jesus who is the Son of God, has a greater title and position than the angels. The second chapter then demonstrates Jesus is superior to the angels, but also in a very different way. Jesus is superior to them them precisely because he became lower than them. I'll read that again. Jesus is superior to them, the angels, precisely because he became lower than them. The author offers up a variety of arguments to demonstrate that Jesus is greater than the angels. Reason number one, the angels point to Jesus. The message declared by the angels proved to be reliable. Chapter two, verse two. What message was that? The message of Jesus coming to be our savior. Think of the angels coming to Mary, the mother of our Lord, or to the shepherds, or even to the witnesses of the empty tomb. Here the angels came and preached, not themselves, but Christ. Reason number two, God did not subject the world to angels. In creation, God gave the first Adam, a human being, authority over creation. Christ, the second Adam, and God in human flesh, has authority over all things. Unlike the first Adam, Jesus remained faithful to the point of death on the cross. Philippians 2, chapter 5, verse 5 through 11. There he died to make propitiation for our sins. Jesus is crowned with glory and honor by the Father because of his suffering and death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. So God has made Jesus, not angels, our Lord. Reason number three, angels never put on our flesh to save us. This one is utterly astounding. Jesus is greater than the angels precisely because he became lower than the angels. That is to say, angels minister to us. But Jesus becomes one of us and calls us his brothers and sisters, sharing in our flesh and blood. As our brother in the flesh, Jesus partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Angels help us, but Jesus becomes one with us to save us. The incarnation of God in Christ is pure gospel for those born in the flesh. So Jesus is greater than the angels we see. That's a very powerful thing, right? Jesus is powerful and supreme because of his love in becoming one of us. And especially as we start heading closer and closer, we don't want to go too quick, but as we head towards the Christmas time where we uh, traditionally remember and we have brought to our mind the incarnation of Jesus, 
That's another thing to remember, right? The, the wonderful truth that God has become one of us in the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Well, secondly, not only is Jesus greater than the angels, but he is greater than Moses. We see this in Hebrews uh, chapter 3. Uh, Bob Hiller has this, uh, again, through the edited stuff that I, I've put here. This section of scripture does not offer much by way of comparing Jesus and Moses. The focus is more on the temptation towards apostasy. However, the example that warns the recipients of this letter comes from those whom God rescued from Egypt under the leadership of Moses and yet still rebelled, fell away, and did not enter the promised land. That is to say, those who rejected God's salvation under the ministry of Moses serve as a warning to us who, though saved by Jesus Christ, are prone to wander from Christ into sin. When the author of Hebrews is showing us Jesus is greater than Moses, he is saying the salvation Christ brings is of a greater significance, or perhaps better, a more eternal importance. Whereas Moses faithfully rescued God's people from slavery in Egypt and led them to the promised land of Canaan, Jesus has done something greater. He has rescued us from the slavery of sin and the tyranny of the, of the devil to lead us to eternal life. He has won for us no mere earthly kingdom, but has made us to be citizens in the kingdom of God, now by faith and one day by sight. What this means is that to reject this salvation from Christ is a greater loss than what the Israelites lost in their desert wanderings. To be saved from Egypt only to wander away into sin and not enter Canaan was bad. To be baptized into the kingdom of God and to be reconciled to him through the saving work of Jesus Christ, only to abandon this for the sinful siren calls of this world is worse. To return to Judaism, as the recipients of this letter seem to be doing, after having been saved by the Jewish Messiah, is tantamount to calling up Pharaoh and asking for your old job back, only worse. It means eternal death and slavery. To reject Christ is not just to die in the wilderness. It is to reject eternal life. So the author writes today to encourage Christians to persevere in the face of trial and temptation. So again, Jesus is not simply greater than the angels, but he's greater than Moses. Moses, who wrote the first five books of the Bible. Moses, who was kind of like the George, well, maybe Abraham was kind of like the George Washington, but you get what I'm saying. He's one of the founding fathers. The, he's on the Mount Rushmore of Israel, right? You've got Abraham, you've got uh, Moses, you might have Elijah or somebody else or David up there probably. So you probably got Abraham, uh, Moses, and David. Those are kind of like the Mount Rushmore figures for Old Testament Israel. And yet Jesus is greater than them. He's greater than Moses. Uh, he points out here that uh, we who have believed, he says, he says to be baptized into the kingdom of God and to be reconciled to him through the saving work of Jesus. So, of, of course, this would be, we would have a difference about what baptism exactly, how it works than Lutherans would. But at the same time, I think there's a general point in which we can say it's true. If you have believed in Jesus Christ, and we would say this, if you've believed in Jesus Christ and then you've been given the sign of baptism, right? God has, has, has uh, preached his grace to you. And in the sign of baptism, he's symbolically washing away your sins and preaching to you the fact that, that you have been accepted in Christ. He's preaching to you the fact that your sins have been washed away and you're united to Jesus Christ and, and now calls you in response and because of what he's done to live a life of a new life in Christ, a resurrected life. If, if you have experienced that, if you believe that, 
you can't turn away from this and go back to the sinful siren calls of this world. And that's what these people were thinking about doing, right? They had believed in Jesus Christ, and they were considering going away to the allurements, to the temptations, to the calls of the world to live in a worldly way or to abandon Jesus Christ. And the writer to the Hebrews here is telling them, don't do that. What you have in Christ is, is, is so much greater. Don't reject eternal life. Don't turn away from Christ. Keep going, even in the midst of trials and temptations and difficulties. And I think that's a very helpful thing as well to be reminded. The Christian life is one of trials and temptations. Um, isn't that the, the hymn, Amazing Grace, through many, uh, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. And the Christian life we read in Acts, right, through many trials and tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. This world we are pilgrims in. We are traveling, and we are heading to the celestial city, to the new Jerusalem. But as we go there on our way, we are pilgrims, and we are going to face trials and temptations. We do not have a city here. We have a heavenly city whose builder and maker is God, as the writer of Hebrews is going to point us to, just like Abraham, just like Abraham, who, who never, uh, the only plot of land Abraham owned in this world was the burial plot that he had for his wife and for himself. Other than that, Abraham did not own land in this world. And what it was pointing to is the fact that he was looking for a city whose maker and founder and architect is God. So Jesus is greater than Moses, but Jesus is greater than Joshua and is the greater Sabbath himself. Hebrews chapter four, uh, Bob Hiller writes here, Hebrews is a sermon. Much like we pastors do every Sunday, the author of this message draws from the scripture to awaken them to their sins, drive them to repent, and deliver Jesus to their ears and hearts. It is a marvelous example of what sermons looked like in the early church and gives us a model for our own preaching. Every pastor who is called into the pulpit is to locate their hearers in the narrative of God's redemptive work in this world. The Holy Spirit will use such biblical preaching to produce repentance and forgiveness of sins. Hebrews is the model of what the risen Christ bids his apostles and preachers to do in Luke 24, 44-49. This week we find the preacher of Hebrews, the writer here in the book, delivering a sermon with Psalm 95, verses 7-8 through 8 as his text. John Kleinig says, Here in this sermon, the teacher speaks to his congregation assembled for the divine service as if he himself were present with them, addressing them as a pastor. This is a marvelous psalm which invites the people of God to worship. However, the invitation to worship quickly turns to a warning. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion. The psalm itself specifies which rebellion. In Exodus 17, we read how the people grumbled against Moses and God at Meribah and Massah. God told Moses to strike the stone and give the grumbling Israelites water. These were the grumbling Israelites who, though saved by God from Egypt, ultimately did not enter the promised land. The author of Hebrews draws from this psalm to invite them to worship and warn the hearers against rebelling against this God who has saved them and drawn them to his Sabbath rest. The psalm was used by the Israelites as a processional hymn while they made their pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles. 
The sabbatical feast at the end of the agricultural year, when they celebrated their entry into the promised land and acknowledged the Lord as the cosmic king. He contrasts those baptized into Christ Jesus, who have believed and thus entered his rest, with those of whom God said, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. The people of God are invited to God's Sabbath rest and blessings, but they are also warned against rebelling against the gifts and promises of God given in the divine service now, though not yet fully realized until Christ comes again. Verse 8 mentions that, though Joshua had led the people to the promised land, it was not the ultimate and final rest God had promised. If that were the case, then God would not have spoken through David of this latter day in which his people are not to harden their hearts. That latter day is today because of the coming of Christ. Today is the day to come and enter the promised rest given in Christ Jesus in his word and the ordinances of baptism in the Lord's Supper. The preacher's promise to the tempted hearers is to announce the promise that Jesus invites you into his rest today. Let nothing stop you from entering this rest now and for eternity. The rest won by Jesus is greater than anything Joshua led the people to in the promised land. God used Joshua to lead his people into the promised land. I gave you land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of the vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Joshua twenty four thirteen. But a quick turn of the page to Judges proves Israel found no rest in the land. They constantly sinned against their God, and God would send enemies to punish them until they repented, and he would send a judge to save them. David, the great king of Israel, later recognized how in this tumultuous world, God's people need a better rest. Jesus brings just that. He has won a greater position for his people, one in which they rest from their labors, a Sabbath rest where they enter God's favorable presence with no more fear of sin or danger of enemies. Christ's death has forgiven all sins that would keep the church away from God. He has defeated Satan and every enemy who would attack and tempt the church. No work need not be done to enter this Sabbath rest, for Christ has done all that is necessary. All of this is true now and experienced when we are gathered in the worship service where the Holy Spirit delivers Christ and distributes all his gifts to us. At the same time, we still live in a not-yet reality every day. Temptations and trials, sins and struggles would seek to draw us away from the promised rest in Christ. But they do not prevent Christ from coming and serving his beloved bride. Do not harden your heart. Do not submit to the siren song of the culture. Rather, come to church where you will find rest for your souls and Jesus and all his mercy for us. Well, that's the end of our readings for this week. I hope that's uh, been helpful for you as you're reading through the book of Hebrews, that in the midst of trials and temptations, we need to remember all that Jesus is in himself, but also is for us. He's greater than the angels. He became one of us. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than Joshua. He brings us into that Sabbath rest. And so, whenever we come to church, it's not because the building is magical. It's not because we ourselves are magical. It's because there is something that God does whenever he gathers us together as a people. Because remember, God doesn't just simply save individuals as individuals. He saves individuals as part of God's people. He came to redeem a people, 
And so when the people are together, then God speaks to us through his word in a powerful manner. The Holy Spirit comes, and by faith we receive the promises again. And he encourages us, and we're encouraged by seeing each other in God's presence. And God uses, whenever we're gathered together, he uses other people as we're together to encourage us to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs as we pray together, as we sing and address each other and sing and address God, as we hear the preached word, all of these things are going on. And God the Holy Spirit is at work to keep us in the faith, to help us to persevere, to help us to enter into that rest, because this world is not a restful place, is it? This world is a treadmill and a restless place. But the church of Jesus Christ, when we are gathered together, we are once again reminded of that rest that we can experience by faith. And we taste it and we're reminded of it as we gather together as the church And then at home and in our workplace, in the midst of all of the chaos and maybe the the troubles and the trials of this life, we even as we are separated now and dispersed as individuals in our callings in this world, we're able to rest in Christ because we were remembered he's better than Joshua. He is better than Moses. He's better than any angel. He's my Savior, my Lord, who loved me and who gave himself for me. Well, next week, we're going to be reading Hebrews chapter 7 through chapter 11. I look forward to being with you next week. Thank you for listening to this. Keep reading the New Testament. Take care and God bless.